This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. I think my tweet's finally settled down now with the whole Mac Pro thing. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, that was That, that was, awesome. was flipping crazy. How many people in the end? Uh, 102 retweets, just looking at it now, and 1,496 likes. Bloody hell. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect it to get that level of attention at all. Really, I just, I was, we, well, we were away in that static caravan. Yeah, the boys were in bed having a nap in the afternoon. I just started looking at the Mac Pro Apple page thing, and I thought, oh, cool, they got like the, the AR thing. So I played with it, and then obviously noticed yep. that you know, like the green color of Oliver's little baby chair thing that he's got was turning it green. I just thought that's that's remarkable. I've got a tweet about it just because maybe like a couple of people might be interested in it and yeah yeah like i just had and the weird thing was um one of the people that liked it um todd vaziri he's um he does a lot of work on films and i was watching on the television in the evening uh one of the transformers films which it turns out he's worked on just as he the notification came up saying that he liked the tweet i was like oh how cool is that <laughs> that's like a, bit of a, a weird coincidence um that's quite yeah. cool but i think it got enough it did. It did that thing that Twitter does, where like a few people liked it, then a few, a few other people liked it, and then I guess it gets to that point where maybe some people start getting a push notification where it says so and so and so and so and so and so liked this tweet. Yeah. And then I noticed a much more steady rate of more people liking it. And I was like, okay, so that's probably happened. Once you trigger that, it's kind of like it, it kind of gets a bit of momentum. And I had the same thing yeah. when I wrote that blog post about how my app company had failed and I was shutting it down and what I was going to do next that did the same thing so yeah quite a few people liked it initially and then enough people liked it I think that then some people got a notification saying this tweet is you know so a lot of people have liked it then I noticed again a lot more people liked it and the likes kept coming so and by that point, more people picked up on it. So yeah, it's it's fascinating trying to get traction with it. Um, but what's yeah. more interesting is the tweet activity. So the impressions, three hundred thousand two hundred ninety eight. So that's the uh, the number of times people saw it in their timeline. Bloody hell! Um, yeah. And the engagements, which I don't know what classes as an engagement. It just says times people interacted with this tweet, and it's a hundred and thirty four thousand. Which is crazy when you think about that, isn't it? That's a massive number. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's when they click through to sort of... Um, it's either, it's, I feel like an engagement is when they, they click the tweet to sort of see more detail it of be, it. yeah. Yeah. I, um, and again, like it, it went crazy when Twitter included me in one of their stories. Um, yeah. I don't really know what a Twitter story is. I guess it looks almost like a... I don't know whether it's human curated or, or kind of bot-driven... I think it's a bit of both. Is it? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but- I feel like the final say is probably human curated, like in terms of what goes in, so they don't put anything out that's like, you know, completely awful for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like what triggers things and tells them how to make a story is automated. Right, so maybe their little oh. tool would go and collate yep. the story and then go, we, we think this is a good story. Human, please make sure it actually is. Yep, I okay. think that's probably how it works. Gotcha. 
Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I'm, I, it's interesting. Just, you know, I, yeah, I can't really see them doing it any other way after a point. Um, it's cool. It's cool cool to see something kind of go go viral in that way. <laughs> I did. I did. I sat there in the camera and said, Heather, have, have, have I gone viral? And she was like, well, I don't know. Have you? I was like, I don't know. It's like a thousand <laughs> likes enough. Is that viral? Probably not. <laughs> it's viral enough in, uh, in our niche. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, um, oh, it's cool. I, I, I'm thinking about all of this stuff. Yeah, we could have done more over the last year or so. Um, could have done more maybe since I moved to New Zealand in some ways. But we've kind of not, hmm, other stuff's needed to take priority. We've still kept running. We have still kept an audience. And then I feel like we keep learning these little tidbits of information and ideas that sort of inform us to do it better. You know, you've had that experience. I've had the experience with um, AirSynth. And then just in general, we've, we've still managed to sort of increase our following and stuff in that time as well. The only, the only criticism, I guess, is it's just been slower than we might have liked. Um, but then if you consider you've become a dad again, and you've, all of that end of stuff as well. You've you moved know, halfway across the world. <laughs> Yeah, well, all things considered, yeah. we've we've done well just to keep it going, I think. We should do a show. We should, we should. Um, I'm actually going to flip my notes up as well, because I made notes during uh, the keynote. <laughs> it's better than me, I've got zero notes. I'm going purely from memory and feelings and reactions and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool, that's a, yeah. that's a reasonable foil. Um, well, let's, um, let's go with your notes, seeing as you're the only one that bothered to make any. Okay, so first on my notes from WWDC, from the keynote, was TVOS. Hey. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> the fact Tim didn't even bother to bring anyone out on stage to talk about it, and he was just like, I'll just quickly do TVOS, and then we can actually get on to what we actually want to talk about. It was kind of the yep. the vibe I got from it. I don't know. Like it, it's um, there, was, there were two key things announced. One was multi-user. Uh, and the other big deal was Xbox and PlayStation 4 controller support. Yeah, that was cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. credit where credit's due. That was a cool announcement. The only annoyance I've got there is I think it's the Xbox uh, One S, and you need a controller, f- like the most recent controller, because I think prior to that, I'm not sure they were u- I think the difference is that the older controllers for the Xbox One might not have used the Bluetooth compatibility mode that uh, Apple are riding on here with this. Oh, okay. Uh, which, Yeah. And that's annoying to me because I've got a slightly older generation Xbox One sat there that my kids use with two controllers. Ah. <laughs> but aside from that, all of that, um, yeah, it's basic in some ways. It's not earth shattering. In other ways, it's like, well... The controller support is both for tvOS and iOS, and I think that's going to be uh, quite cool. Yeah, really cool, especially with Steam doing what they're doing as well. <clears throat> with is yeah. it Steam Link? Yes. And is it PS4? They do like a remote play app as well for iOS. Yeah, so, so you can see these things coming together a bit. Yeah, and it just like utilizes a huge amount of people out there that have already got controllers. So yeah, that basically means they're already into games. And if they want to play games on their Apple TV, well, great. Just use your controller you've already got. It's like, yeah, very smart move. Kind of like a yeah. bit of a non apple thing to do in a way because you think, oh, no, Apple wouldn't. You could hear people saying that this is a thing that Apple would never do. Yeah. But actually, it, it makes it a heck of a lot of sense when you think about it. 
It's, it's, yeah, it's a good yeah, move. It really does. And, and yeah, this sort of... You can kind of see the scene setting a little bit here in terms of, like, if everything moves to streaming services, then the client console, if you like, doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know, whether it's it's the Apple TV, whether it's an iPad, whether it's your Mac, whether it's something that, you know, one of the uh, manufacturers puts out themselves. So you can imagine the future version of the PlayStation or the Xbox is just this little box and it's just for streaming connection. And at that point, like the, the controller is the bit that differentiates rather than the console. Um, and obviously the service as well that you're hooked into and how well that, that performs and all of that. Mm-hmm. So like the, 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 the controllers themselves are always already kind of iconic. You know, there's, there's this sort of quite, quite often see this thing about like, Oh, is the, the PlayStation controller better than the Xbox one or whatever is, has been a point of debate. Uh, so yeah, Apple providing support for both of these things. I can see this sort of future happening where the controller and the subscription is the service, is the console, the platform. And if that's a few years away from now, then actually Apple's kind of sort of put uh, a connecting plank down for that future quite early in some ways. And it feeds right into Apple Arcade as well. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't hurt their their situation and, and, and what they're putting out. So, yeah, a small piece at the beginning of the, the keynote, but um, potentially quite a big one, I guess, for gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Next up on my, my list, I was managing to sort of write notes most of the way through the keynote, actually, and just sort of note down things I thought was cool. It was Apple Watch. I sort of feel like the platform for Apple Watch is kind of progressing steadily each year rather than being sort of major, major um, updates. Um, I think that feeling for me is probably because I don't always get everything that they update. The ECG stuff from last year I don't think is available in New Zealand. Or if it is, it's only only just become available recently. It certainly wasn't on day one. Um, yeah. So with Apple Watch updates, I kind of feel a bit like, yeah, it's good to see, but, you know. <laughs> I struggle a bit with the watch because, like I say, I've got a Series Zero and I don't feel like I use it enough to warrant buying a new one. But then I don't know if I feel that way because I haven't bothered to experience the new one. Therefore, I don't know what I'm missing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like I'm going to benefit from, I mean, what, we're on Series 4 now. If the Series 5 is is out in the next six months and I get that, I think the difference is going to be night and day. I think it already probably is, given from what other people have told me. Um, And I kind of feel like, well, that's cool. When I can justify the purchase mentally, um, I'm going to really appreciate it. And it's sort of bubbling away and building up and doing its thing between now and then, you know, for me to sort of come in and jump on the platform again a little bit later so but yeah i don't feel immediately like i have to have it even now no i mean all i really use it for is just looking at notifications as as they come through i find it quite handy like in the slack group if there's a conversation bubbling away i'll get a few notifications and i'm like okay i'll pick up my phone and join in or if i'm out walking and I want to change the volume on my AirPods. Although more often than not, I find the digital crown to be so unreliable and there's quite a bit of lag 
and that my, yes. my, my impatience gets the better of me because I'll turn the dial and think, oh, it hasn't gone up enough, and I'll turn it up yep. even more. But the actual first round of turning it up hasn't even kicked in yet, and then I end up blasting my ears out with something way too loud. <laughs> um, oh, so I have, a, I have a suspicion this is a series not woe. Possibly. Maybe, possibly, yeah. I don't know. Because um, mine does the same thing. So I've just taken um, to just sort of feeling for the volume button through my pockets and i just do it that way yep so yeah i i which i used to do before getting the watch yeah <laughs> so I, I i don't know maybe yeah maybe series five might convince me maybe the new apps that we're going to see now that because i mean we've got a lot more uh a lot more power now to build apps yeah and and the watch os 6 update brings us independent apps so the app store for the watch is is independent of the phone now yes yeah um which which i think is a bit of a signpost that the watch itself is reaching a level of being powerful enough to to support that um yeah like i say minimal kind of notes there for me for that um except i guess that what they've done with watch os 6 and what they're doing with the rest of the platform um, all sort of ties together um, the, the the way that you and we'll get to this later on for sure but the, but the UI development changes represented by Swift UI and that side of things oh my god <laughs> um, that 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 means that developing a UI for the watch itself looks like it's a bit of a, a more straightforward process um, that that's kind of cool to see that there's this sort of thread through all of the platforms of having just kind of one way of developing the ui yeah that that's just going to send shockwaves i think through the development community is is the gist i've gone from it so far um just going back to the watch though um briefly curious to know did you pick up on the fact that they kept referring to it just as watch during the presentation and not the apple watch there was several times the first time i thought i think it was kevin lynch the first time I was like, oh, that's odd. Because normally they always call it Apple Watch, Apple Watch, Apple Watch, hmm. Apple Watch. And then he said, oh, he just said watch. I was like, oh, he must have misspoke because, you know, it's a, it's a lot of pressure to be up on stage. It's, you know, you've got a big audience. It's, uh, a slip of the tongue is completely normal, I would imagine. And then yeah. he did it again and he did it again. And I think, I can't remember whether Tim Cook did it when he came back out on stage. I can't remember, but it just, just something I noted and I thought I just, wonder whether that's whether they're doing something whether that's like mm. planning ahead for for something I, I i don't know but yeah i just so that I'd to me it. that that would suggest that they're laying the groundwork to maybe license the watch out a little bit oh okay um if you think about it not specifically being apple watch then does that mean we're going to see other variants on the platform i guess i'm thinking kind of and and maybe not outside of apple but maybe across other sort of um other sections of the business so if you think about um with airpods we now have the the beats um that are using the same technology as well yeah um so i wonder if maybe there's going to be a time when it's not specifically apple watch but it's devices that are running watch os and whether that that's like outside of Apple or not, I think is up for debate. But I could see them acquiring a fitness brand or something like that 
that they then have a, a very tuned and specific um, sports version again of the watch that's under that in the same sort of way that, that you know Beats is serving a specific market separate from the AirPods. Um, maybe, you know, if the language is changing like that and it's not specifically all about it being Apple Watch, maybe that's a signifier. I might be reading too much into it. Well, yeah, I did wonder um, whether perhaps I was, but just the fact that they did it again and again and again, it's like, okay, this is not a mistake. This is in intentional language. And normally when there's intentional yeah. language, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire normally, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so I think that's something to watch. Absolutely. But I'm... <laughs> oh, blimey. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> right, next. <laughs> next. <laughs> okay, so next up was iOS 13, which actually felt a bit whistle-stop as I was watching it. Yeah, it did, um, didn't it? Yeah, and kind of, I think this was a case of going through a few things before, before sort of getting into the, the, the bigger deal stuff in some ways, that, but quite a lot to be to be talked about in there, though, uh, despite that. Um, so looking at my notes, I've got things like um, two times faster app loading, potentially up to twice as fast. Uh-huh. Uh, that's that's a reasonably big deal. Um, thirty percent faster Face ID. Yes, yeah, that looked great, didn't it? Yeah, so that's cool. Um, dark mode. Hey, yay! Which is going to impact app development quite a bit, I think. Really. Yes, and also that obviously ties in with Swift UI a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's again another ding for the UI conversation to be had in a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Key with dark mode, I think, is the idea that we're going to have things like uh, system-controlled sort of highlight colors um, along with it as well. So there's, there's a few things there, like, okay, you've got dark mode and regular mode, light mode, um, but also uh, some of the system colors, some of the default colors, I think, around... Um, I don't know whether they're specifically going to hang off UI color or, or not yet. I've not got that far into the detail, but... Yeah, something to be aware of there. There's there's um, the two different modes, and then there's system highlight colors, which I think devs should try and use if they've just got a default sort of interface. Because mm-hmm. I think the, the payoff there is that if you're bringing that app to, I guess bringing it across from iOS to the Mac, for example, there's, there's a bit of standardization there you can just leverage. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, it, it looks cool. Um, doesn't look alien on the device at all. It looks really nice. Um, I was interested to kind of see, because they went first with macOS, and I, I kind of wondered like why it didn't come to iOS first. Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe there was a little bit more to sort of iron out there in some way or not, but um, it certainly looks like it's working working quite well. And, and what I've seen of people using the betas, it looks good. Do you uh, are you a dark mode person these days on macOS? Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I was um, <laughs> until until I sold my iMac, which was um, yeah. Now I'm back on a 2010 MacBook Pro, which can't run Mojave, so I don't even have the choice anymore. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, put a pin in that. I'll have to wait until I until I have better hardware. After that, within iOS, um, there was a section on. So I've I've got here the swiping keyboard is coming to iOS. 
Um, so I think they called it QuickPad. Yep. That Sherlock's a few keyboard apps. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I think that's fair enough because some of those, the last time I tried to use one, I just didn't particularly like it where it was. I think having it as a, a sort of built-in thing is is probably where I'm going to be happier. So I still don't think I'll use yeah. it, to be quite honest. No, same. Same. In, in a lot of ways, I think it's going to be quicker for me to just carry on as I always have. But I know a lot of people like that sort of thing. So that's, that's probably, for some people, been a glaring omission from Apple for a while, actually. Yeah. So, And it's there on the iPad as well. And I think it perhaps makes quite a bit of sense there in some ways in terms of how I use my iPad. I could perhaps see myself doing that more. I thought the biggest thing with the keyboard and the iPad was that you could make the keyboard almost like iPhone size and have it to the side so you could type with one thumb. Yeah, that looked really yeah you nice. can, but I think even at that point, a swiping keyboard might suit me better just in terms of how I sort of cradle the iPad in one arm and then the other hand's like tapping stuff on the screen, um, whereas on my phone it is all just sort of in the crook of my hand with my thumb. So, mm, okay. yeah, for me, I kind of looked at QuickPad and thought, hmm, that... that will probably be more useful on my iPad. So yeah, um, the rest of my notes in iOS 13, we've got uh, Time Sync Lyrics in Apple Music, which is a, a kind of a cool feature. And I noticed that they did that for tvOS actually as well. Um, so that, that again, looks like they're sort of leveraging the, the cross-platform UI stuff there. Yeah. They've got it working in one place and it's easy enough to just roll it out everywhere else. Um, maps is greatly enhanced. They had like a sort of Google street view, um, option for Apple maps. Uh, quite like that. That's, um, that's interesting to me because it looks like they're trying to collect metadata from people as well. So when you're in that mode, you can tag things. And so that means you, you're looking around a real place in that sort of 3d mode and you're able to tag different objects and things that are in it different places and i think that that is actually a a precursor to them having that sort of data to then use uh for ar later on Mm -hmm. yeah you know they've got the maps now let now users please tag things on there so we can then build that into a data layer that we can use with glasses later on or something yeah um so yeah i think that's a, a an ar precursor actually there um what else permissions are a bit more locked down so that's good uh specifically some more protection on wi-fi and bluetooth um the big one though for me was the social login yeah so when you lock yeah so facebook and login with google options on apps we can now sign in with apple instead yeah that was like shots fired wasn't it when they put their um put those both on the on the slide <laughs> like right there yeah um yeah i think that's going to be uh, great because it's kind of like in like this gdpr world that we're in now I, i'm always mm-hmm. looking at as things as a dev through the lens of what can i get away without capturing yep um you know the the least amount of data i can collect is what i want to be collect- I, I don't want to collect any data unless i absolutely have to and if i had something yeah. that needed a login actually that's that's a great way to do it um because that then gives the user loads of control as well, which I like just from like a sort of philosophy point of view. Um, yep. Yeah, they can 
they've even got those uh, private emails that sort of route to the actual inbox, but it never actually exposes your main email address, which again I think is an awesome feature. Um, kind of, have you ever used Ten Minute Mail? No. So it's like a website where you can go and it will quickly make you a mailbox for ten minutes, so you can sign up to something and click the confirmation email they send you to activate ah, the account. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And I use that sometimes just if I want to sign up for something quickly and not actually fully trust what I'm signing up to or I'm still a bit wary. Yeah. Um, so it kind of reminded me of that in a way, which I thought was quite neat. But yeah, from a dev point of view, it basically means, if I understand this correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that we don't really have to collect any kind of like user data or passwords, anything like that, if you want to have a have a, have a, like a, a um, login bit to your app. is that Am I reading that right? I'm not 100% sure because it's kind of down the line of... of um interaction that i've not done so much with um i've got a gut feel that maybe it's more about it you'll get the ability to get that credential and handshake back but i'm not sure whether you can still operate without your own server in the mix um yeah i'd have to look in into into how the sdk works to know a little bit more uh, because a lot of these these sdks they give you the validation but then to make it meaningful, it's really about how it comes in um, in terms of your, your own API and your server. Yeah, so signing with Apple, I think, is, is quite game-changing. And I think what it gives to users is really awesome. You know, it means that you can sign in, that the app developer doesn't necessarily track you through all of these other platforms, which is what happens with Facebook login and Google sign-in, is that whether or not the... Um, the the person who's made the app is really using that for anything else doesn't really matter google and facebook are right they know that you're using that app they're tracking your time in that app with their sdk and that's you know that's the value they get for providing a login to app developers uh and, but what that means is is that if it's an app that's associated with particular keywords you're then indexed for that when you're seeing adverts elsewhere and that may or may not be a good thing depending on how you approach privacy but for me i would rather not have any of that i'd rather not be using anything with a facebook login because i've deactivated my facebook account so anytime i see those sort of logins it's actually a bit of a sort of privacy smell if you like to me <laughs> you know it's like well why does why does it need me to log in like that you know can i not just have a normal login with them um, or can I not do something with the app without having that login? Um, and the if the answer to those questions is no, then I usually ditch the app these days. Yeah, I think so, I'd be very much the same. Yeah, signing with Apple actually means that I'll probably use more of these apps. And the other thing is, is that Apple are going to make this mandatory. So, so any app that that has that sort of social login will have to also offer sign in with Apple. And I. A couple of people are kind of groused about that on Twitter, sort of saying about how it's Apple using their monopoly. I don't care. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, as a user, I want this to be everywhere that I get presented with that sort of login because I don't want to use these other forms of login. So as long as it's not excluding the other options, you know, not, monop not monopolizing in that sense, um, I don't mind. I'm actually quite, quite there for that because that means I can just use sign in with Apple I uh, feel reassured that my privacy is being that bit more respected um, and kind of move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to skip over a few bits and bobs because otherwise this really is just going to be a show of me 
kind of recounting every one-liner off my notes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, some of my notes are just things that I think are interesting rather than everybody else will really find that interesting. Okay, so uh, I'm going to skip right the way down, I reckon, to talking briefly about iPadOS. Yeah. <laughs> I think that really was where um, it felt like the, the keynote really sort of ramped up a gear. You know, I mean, we've got we've always had an iPad version of iOS, kinda in terms of the things you can do on the iPad that you can't do on on the iPhone. But now it's official. iPad OS is that that demarcation. It is iOS but tuned for the iPad. Um, I think that's actually quite quite a big deal, really, as a dev. It's a huge deal, isn't it? Um, I only wish I could have seen Daryl Baxter's face when, the, when they announced that. <laughs> Mr. iPad, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I still feel, for the most part, my feelings on the iPad are unchanged in that I just still don't think it's right for me, and that's fine. doesn't mean it's not right for other people. Um, but I think now it is much more of a compelling option for somebody who wants to use it exclusively, and maybe, maybe someone that's... Um, well, like Daryl, in fact, using a MacBook Air and also having an iPad Pro, but really wants to use the iPad Pro as the only computer. Well, now you probably yep. can ditch the MacBook Air if that if you're just using the Mac at a reasonably light level. There, yes. there is no reason now, really, why the iPad can't be your go-to computer. Yeah. Um, I, you know, yeah. I think the whole having multiple app windows open is quite game-changing in a lot of ways and how you can kind of do almost like how it's borrowed things from the Mac, like in terms of the expose where you can see what windows of like the notes app you've got open as you know, paired in which configurations. I think that's going to be really cool. Um, yes. Yeah. I think this opens up a, up an awful lot to, um, to a lot more users, but what I think is crucial. And I remember, I think it's probably this time last year we were talking about, should there be an iPad OS, um, probably on Daryl's show now I think about it (laughs) um, I I remember sort of chiming in saying we need to be almost careful what we wish for because one of the great things about iPad is how accessible it makes computing to a lot of people that otherwise feel intimidated on something like a Mac or a PC and if we try and get too clever with iPad we're going to end up alienating a significant portion of its user base and what I think is great about what they've done is that yes They've added way more stuff, like the little slide-over app is now its own thing, and you can have loads of different apps within it and all this stuff. But if you still want to use the iPad in the way that you have done more or less ever since the iPad's been out, you you still can. Yes. And that's to me, that's the beauty of what they've made. Um, the power's there if you want it, and if you want it, chances are you're going to know about it and discover it. But if you don't, if you're not interested, you can still just... Press Safari, Safari opens full screen. Press Facebook, Facebook yep. opens full screen. And to a lot of people, I think that is what appeals to them about iPad. But equally, there's people that want it to do more. And now it's catering, I think, really, really well to both yeah. both sort of demographics. I think you're absolutely right there. It's, it's a scalable form of um, of complexity. You know, one, one thing leads to the other. And if you don't need it or, or it's kind of beyond how you want to use the device, you don't have to use it. Um, whereas I think the argument can be made on the Mac that you don't get a choice as to running multiple windows. 
you know, you just don't get that choice. It doesn't take long uh, logged into a map before you've got several windows open and you're kind of having to manage manage them, even with sort of full screen mode on the Mac, which I think for me just doesn't work very well. Some apps don't lend themselves to being full, full screen on the Mac at all. Uh, but on, on the iPad, yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that works for sort of everybody. And then, uh, yeah, the, the split view, the slide over, the multi-window approach that we're seeing with iPad OS, um, it means that for power users, there's this other way of working with the device. And that's that's brilliant. Mm. Yeah, love it. Um, as a developer, I think there's a few gotchas that are going to come out of this. Um, so for anybody that wants to support multiple windows and that side of things, I think that their their application architecture is going to be a big deal. You know, how you've actually managed your um, local database, if it's like, for example, a note-taking app or something like that that's got, you know, somewhere where it's saving data back, um, how you manage that sort of stuff, how you send uh, data to and from the view um, back into that database and all of that side of stuff. Um, I can see that side of things tripping people up because... There's, this, there's been this assumption from day one that you've only really got one screen to sort of worry about. You've got one view, and it means that you can kind of couple everything quite tightly together. Um, so I think that's where a few people are going to get tripped up. But that's the sort of problems that as devs we have to solve, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of effort, if people do that for the iPad, it pays them off if they would then want to bring the app to the Mac as well. Yeah, you know, this 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 stuff ties together. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like by doing that for the iPad, it then makes it more Mac friendly, sort of by design. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Also on the iPad is um, a desktop class Safari browser, which I think is going to be quite cool. You know, it seems like most sites that have always needed a desktop version of a browser to work are now going to just work on the iPad. But um, doesn't it work in a way that things like can adapt themselves as well to become more sort of touch target friendly? So although it'll serve a desktop version, like it, like with WordPress, I think they use as an example, that it will also make WordPress more touch friendly. So like when you go into the sort of admin panel, it's not like yeah. crazy small, like it would be on a desktop, like with all the menu items, but it actually does lend itself better to to being on touch so i'd be interested to see how that works because obviously the web is a very strange thing to try and manipulate and have it work all the yep. time everywhere yep so <laughs> yeah i imagine there'll be like some high profile kind of things like you know wordpress and maybe i don't know like mailchimp or something might you know some big names might work well with it but it's one of those things where can it work everywhere nicely all of the time when you're dealing with the web because the web is a is an unpredictable beast, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it, I don't know, maybe that puts a bit more effort on, on web devs. Yeah, but you can't rely on web devs. <laughs> no, exactly. Because web so, devs, yeah, you're right. speaking as someone who used to be a web developer, trying to get clients to spend money on their websites after they've paid for it and launched it, I mean, most of them resented paying the minimal amount to host it every year. Never mind <laughs> phoning them up saying, oh, great news um apple have just come out of this thing and you should spend <laughs> money to make your site 
do it, you know, for the iPad. And they'll be like, yes. well, no, probably not, because not enough people are going to use it on the iPad. And, you know, the underlying reason was, I don't really care. <laughs> my experience. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath on that. You can tell I'm a web developer in recovery, can't you, the way I'm kind of talking? <laughs> yes. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> but no, I think you're absolutely right. So maybe, maybe, yeah, that is something that only works so well on the bigger names that Apple have had a chance to sort of work with or contact. Probably. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, um, keep an eye on it. But it looks cool for a start. Google Docs and that sort of stuff working really well is is a good thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Combine that with a download manager, and I think um, Safari on the iPad is a much more sort of fuller experience now so that's good is it time to talk about the map pro yeah go on then yes the map <laughs> pro <laughs> oh my god um, it's here it's a real thing yeah so cool i'm so happy that it yeah. exists i'm so happy that it's not rubbish um it's uh it's a computer i am never ever going to own um but i'm yep. just so pleased it exists if that makes any kind of sense at all. Um, it makes total sense to me. I, I think that for the vast majority of people, if you're looking at buying the Mac Pro uh, and you're not going to get the benefit after out of having something like Afterburner, um, and, and that's their special F, FPGA, is it? Uh, is it like, based device. Sort of like programmable hardware, isn't it? Yeah, so and can... it's there to accelerate video rendering. Yeah, so the gist I got is that it's a, the card itself is like programmable hardware, so you can sort of program it to do to excel at certain tasks. So yeah, at the minute it's like it's tuned for doing the ProRes 8K streams of video, but that's not to say that it couldn't be reprogrammed for another task. Right. So then it could switch between this other task and then switch to doing the 8K ProRes stuff when you want to do that again. <laughs> um, wow. But obviously, the effort needs to go into making it programmable for a certain task. So obviously, the effort's been yes. put in now for 8K ProRes footage, which is great. Um, I mean, a part of me did wonder whether there's anything that can be done with like Swift compilation or just something like that in in like R space. Um, Potentially, I don't know. I don't understand enough about it to know if that's really feasible or or whether you just throw Intel cores at it, which. They have done in spades with a 28 core yes. uh, CPU. Um, I think the CPU alone is about ten thousand dollars. Looking at the list price from Intel, I mean, once you once you spec that machine up, you, you're going to be sort of thirty, forty k maybe. I would imagine. <sighs> yeah. I mean, how much are these MPX yeah. modules going to cost if you go for the dual Vega GPUs and the afterburner card and? put in a four terabyte mm-hmm. SSD or multiple and the 1.5 terabytes of RAM. Yeah. Um, terabytes. I mean, I, I, I nearly killed over when a couple of months back they announced the iMac pro getting 256 gig of RAM as an option. <laughs> I remember saying to people like, this is absolute insanity. Like who needs 256 yep. gig of RAM? Um, but now you're into potential terabytes, terabytes of uh, RAM. And the answer is, most people don't need it. Like, you know, for you or I doing Swift compilation, uh, a decent multi-cord um, device further down the chain will, will, will suffice. More than. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've recently bought my stock 
Mac Mini. That's the the, the stock um, six core one. I haven't upgraded the RAM yet. It will benefit from having more than eight gig of RAM, but it'll benefit from having you know sixteen or thirty two gig of RAM. I don't need to have a terabyte in there to make it really good <laughs> at what I use it for, you know? Um, and again, if I'm doing uh, VR work or something like that, I compare it with an eGPU uh, for a fraction of the cost of, of a reasonably configured Mac Pro uh, um, and move on with life. You know, so I, th- I think even if somebody is looking and going, oh, okay, well, the the stock... Mac Pro gives me a machine that I can continue to kind of keep updated with GPUs and, and put drives in it and that sort of stuff. Yes, yes, it does. And, and you know, if you're looking at running that forever for the next 10 years, I can see there being a payoff. Uh, but really, for that price, you could buy a Mac Mini, you could buy an iPad Pro, an eGPU, a couple of decent 4K monitors or something. Um and be set up, you know, and probably still have some change. Yeah. So I kind of look and think, well, yeah, I, I would be querying somebody's decision making if they're hard out, absolutely got to have the Mac Pro and they're not doing video work or something else that absolutely leverages the, the platform and technology of it. Yeah. I mean, so, to me, this is this is for like somebody making the next Star Wars movie. You know, yeah. Think think of the budget for a Star Wars movie, sort of knocking on the door of hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more. So, yep. you know, a fleet of these Mac Pros is just a small line item in the budget for that movie. Yep. And you know, you pair those with the uh, is it the XDR monitor, the Pro monitor they've made. Again, yeah, that's a six thousand dollar monitor. Um, the stand as well a thousand dollars for the stand and another thousand dollars for the for the matte finish that they're going for so you could be spending seven thousand dollars on a screen before you've even thought about spending the five the six thousand dollars on the mac pro which let's be fair who is going to buy that configuration nobody i would imagine no um that configuration is there to grab the people who aspire to having a mac pro really yeah yeah that's that's um, absolutely people, right people going in on that will, will be the people who will go well i'll buy it at that and i'll slowly upgrade it over the next year or two in terms of ram and other bits yeah um yeah or or people that literally just want the cpu grunt and they're going to rack mount it potentially um, I, I could could see that being a thing um and the rack mounting is an option for the map pro as well though they showed it in, in a sort of rack mount configuration yeah, that was a nice touch, uh, I thought. Yeah, the the X serve lives on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean this, yeah. this this machine is just not for most people. I mean, I I don't even think uh, you know, the level of iOS development I do, I I think even if I was running a big application, I still don't think I could justify it. Um no. This it's just like another level that I just don't think I'll ever need. I mean, Yes, I'm a nerd, and yes, I love computers, and I like big, powerful computers. But really, I don't. I just don't need this thing, and I'm not sure many people in our kind of bubble do. I think we'll see a lot. You know, especially if you listen to certain podcasts, you'll hear a lot of people convincing themselves they do. Um, yep. But I think honestly, you probably. Do. I mean, even like they say, video editors. Oh, video editors need it. And you know, I can imagine 
a lot of the tech YouTube channels I watch, a lot of them will probably buy one of these in the name of video editing, but really the mm. level of video editing they're doing on YouTube probably don't even need it at that point. Probably it, fine with a regular iMac, probably. not even an iMac Pro. And they say, oh, but my, my renders are 30% quicker. It's like, yeah, but even when they're 30% quicker, they take like, I don't know, four minutes. So just go and get a coffee. Yeah. And if it takes 30% longer, have a buy a larger coffee. <laughs> yeah. Or just... Well, yeah. You know, at that point, yeah, if cause, it's Because you're going to be... A, a much larger percent worse off in terms of like cash flow and balance, bank balance. Yeah, I mean, unless unless your like time that. really is that valuable, and maybe if you are working on say the new Star Wars movie and you've got like an X wing that's being animated onto the screen, and then you're sat in an in a in like a, a meeting discussing the film, and someone goes, "Oh, can we quickly get a render of that X wing flying in from the left versus flying in from the right?" And you've got the horsepower there, like a 28-core Mac Pro with a terabyte of RAM, and you can quickly punch out that edit and quickly show it to somebody as like a quick revision. Then, yeah, yeah. that at that point, that's starting to be a machine that is worth its money. Because, you know, when, when, when you're dealing with mega sort of movie studios, budgets, and the time pressure they're under, then, then yeah, actually, these, these Mac Pros are like a drop in the bucket. Yep. Um, but... Unless you're at that in that kind of a league, or you need to have like a thousand tracks in a Logic project, as we saw on the keynote demo, this this project just uh, this you know computer, I just don't think is for you. And same goes for the monitor. No. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the machine. I think the machine looks awesome, and um, and I actually think the monitor looks good as well. Um, I've I've seen a few people sort of criticise it in terms of its aesthetic or whatever, but you know for me the aesthetic of the machines is is quite cool it's cool to see apple doing something just slightly different to the rest of its lineup um and i think it's definitely cool for us to have the flagship mac pro back you know it's it's absolutely a better take on the industry and the approach than the than the uh, cylinder was and so that's good. You know, we've got this machine that sort of sits at the top of the pile in terms of like horsepower and capability. It really doesn't matter to me whether I can buy it or not. You know, the, the machines uh, that are within reach for me do what I need them to do very well. And that's cool as well. So, yeah, glad to see it back. Really, really interested to sort of see what people do with things like Afterburner and and just having that horsepower. I think there might be one or two things that go on in that that then sort of trickle down over time. You know, like just having a machine that is that capable uh, potentially opens up other ways of approaching problems. I'm I'm thinking of of things like uh, very massive point clouds and that sort of visualization. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, having all of your RAM, all of the GPU power, potentially access to programmable stuff like Afterburner, that combined might make that use case, like, really cool. You know, suddenly you can render this point cloud that's, like, several kilometers wide in in virtual space or something. I don't know. These are the sort of things that people will eventually do with them when they're out there and... You know, people in these these studios get a chance to to have out and play as well, and that's cool because if there are valuable things coming from that end of stuff, then we will see a trickle down into the things that are more affordable over the next five or six years. You know, mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it, it, it only helps the platform, and it really, really helps to have people at that level who have those budgets using Macs. You know, because of that trickle down, because of that effect on on the the types of software that are out there and the types of things that people can do, um, I think we were losing that really. So, so it's good to have that back. Um, but yeah, great, great to see the Mac Pro back. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast, and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHead spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHead spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at davenot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore davenot. 